NPR Cinema Squabble, episode number 92. Adam Gerke, Tim Hall from the PI, a People's Critic, and that guy, John, from About to Review, uh, a special gathering, if you will. We have been, uh, in for various different reasons, we've been out of the cycle for what oh, it feels like forever. So this is our first, we're striking back with a vengeance. I like it. Uh, but we are a number of Seattle's film critics. We gather in theaters usually several times a week. Sometimes not so much, but uh, we are into the throes of passion as far as the uh, the major media deluge of film. Uh, but we gather, we discuss, and we bring that conversation to you in podcast form. So uh, without further ado, there have been some monumental pieces dropped on us as of recently, one of them being Joker. Tim, tell us about this. Uh, Joker is the uh, ordinary story for one of Batman's uh, biggest villains, the Joker. It's uh, about Arthur Fleck. And it stars Joaquin Phoenix and directed by Todd Phillips, who's best known for that. And it's about Arthur Fleck sort of living in New York City in the 80s and life is sort of beating him down. And it leads to him turning into the Joker. Right. Now, there are folks that I have spoken with who are and both of you are much more knowledgeable of the DC Marvel worlds than I ever can possibly imagine to be. (laughs) But there are people who have cried absolute foul out of the fact that the Joker's name before he was Joker was not Arthur Fleck, and this doesn't follow true origin stories, blah, 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 blah. Where where do the two of you sit on this? It doesn't bother me at all. (laughs) Right. I mean, with me, it is one of those things where everybody who is saying that was not his name beforehand, Uh maybe does not realize he has never had a name. Like, it is something where people who only know 1989 Batman, sure. Tim Burton's Batman, are thinking, oh, this isn't that bad. Of course not. But there has yet to be a definitive, concrete Joker origin in the comics that have been going for 70 years. So him being named Arthur Fleck, which is kind of a dig at Affleck, A. Fleck, which uh-huh. I, I thought that was the only kind of weird thing. I was like, really? Todd Phillips? But as far as the name itself... Mm-hmm. That part did not bother me because it was not real. Yeah, sure. And a lot of these things, especially with DC, you have to look at them as kind of Elseworlds tales, which is what the comics would do once or twice a year, give different writers, different creators an opportunity with the best characters. That is what the DC films are. They're just Elseworlds tales. These are not in continuity things like Marvel movies really pull from. Sure. So as far as the name stuff... Did not really bother me at all because it was just whatever. Yeah. I guess the other big question, though, is is does this origin work for you, knowing what you know of perhaps how Joker has come about? Uh, I mean, I got, yeah, I guess I will go first. So one, one of the things that this did interesting, first of all, we never need to see Uncle Ben die again. We never need to see <laughs> Thomas and Martha Wayne die again. <laughs> we had it a half a dozen times or more. Sure. But the way they do it in this one at least made contextual sense for the story they were telling. Mm-hmm. And there was a really clever thing. The only kind of one of the only Easter eggs in the movie that I really liked was they set it up in the beginning where the Waynes and other elites go to the theater mm-hmm. like we have at Benaroya Hall and they play a movie and the symphony plays it live. That was a really clever way to then at the end of it, they do... Zorro of the Gay Blade or Mask of Zorro, mm-hmm. which was the movie in the 40s Four, yeah. that Thomas and Martha Wayne were killed in front of. So they set it up interestingly in the movie to kind of put that in. Yeah, The actual mechanism to seeing them get killed again, it, it works in this. Sure. Like it, in the chaos of everything, 
that kind of worked. Yeah. 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 Tim, how about you? Um, it's it's fine. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 different, obviously. Right. But I, I think uh, to John's point, I don't think they're concerned about doing anything that's part of a bigger storyline. So mm-hmm. sort of this one off kind of the way Logan was for Fox's X-Men films. Sure. So mm-hmm. in, in the context of the film, it works, but it, I, you're not going to see this attached to anything no. else. We, right. we will never see this Joker yeah. again in a DC film like that, yeah. which, again, as an Elseworlds tale, yeah. I have thousands of comic books and a lot of them are just single issue or maybe three issue like Elseworlds things and you never touch on it again. Yeah. Sure. This movie, yeah, we will never go back to this. Yeah. So we're getting a new Batman of Robert Pattinson. There is no way that this is that is going to tie into this. So it is like Right. And what? we've seen we've seen so many <laughs> other Batman, so many other Jokers, yeah. so many other So and I agree with you. I like the standalone feel of this. Mm-hmm. I like the tone, texture, timbre, where this sits on the bookshelf in my brain with, of course, and, and everyone's talked about this, where it sits with uh, Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, sure. all you know, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, all these films from the 70s that are these kind of monumental classics. And this is a nice addendum to that. I really like how they've been able to capture a lot of that feel. And you get that right out of the gate. Sure. What I also really liked about this film, but I do have some concern in it, is that this doesn't feel... this. Hmm. Let me begin with this, saying I was concerned when I saw this film at the end of it going, I hope people don't take this as a permission slip to go then enact this sort of violence. And I know that for a lot of the screenings of this film, every one of the theaters had cops stationed outside to prevent violence. Yeah, That's kind of a wild thing. What I was really hoping for that would come from this would be dialogue. I mean, when I had parents coming to me of saying, hey, my 15-year-old wants to go see this, what do you think? And I'm left to go, it's kind of intense. (laughs) Right. But what I'm hoping this does is I hope it drives the conversation because what I see coming from this, the Arthur Flex of the world, it's a complete, I won't say a complete explanation, but it's one explanation as to where our uh, crazed gunmen come from and the high school shooters and where where the, you know, kind of the kids who've been beaten down and why this doesn't give us permission to it but it gives us explanation and a little empathy as to where the people come from who start to feel they can lash out this way i i agree with that and that in my opinion was one of the biggest things i did not like about the film and why at the end of the film Mm -hmm. i I felt really uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and my quote to the rep who is always there standing waiting for us Mm -hmm. is i said timely and poignant Mm -hmm. for all of the wrong reasons Hmm. Because I did not like that there was not this indictment or admonishment of his behavior. It was the opposite. Where at the end, we are supposed to believe he is our hero. There's this weird sympathetic Hmm. calling. And that made me feel really uncomfortable. And even at our advanced screening, every time somebody during the film stood up or walked down the aisle, Mm -hmm. I personally felt like everybody kind of shift, you know, Uh kind of look over. Like, that is a problem that even... You know, at a at an advanced screening or press screening, that people still you could feel that energy in the room where, if whether it was a security person or somebody getting popcorn, mm-hmm. everybody just kind of like slowly turned to see where that noise was coming from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I did not like that. It did keep I think everybody on edge the whole time. And realistically, there's only two what I would say two hyper violent scenes throughout the entire film. There are right. other yeah. acts of violence, but what I will right. say hyper violent mm-hmm. to the point where. I went, oh, Jesus. Yeah. You know. And they, uh, when they hit, they hit hard. Yeah. yeah. 
takeaways for you, Tim? Um, I think I'm less concerned than John, but I understand the sentiment of sort of the final shots we see of, mm-hmm. of Arthur Fleck turning to the Joker. Um, I mean, Todd Phillips, they try to do something interesting during the third act where the Joker sort of has a monologue where he talks about Gotham. But to me, it was really interesting because we're seeing the film through his eyes and mm-hmm. he's a madman. Yeah. yeah. And we're to believe <laughs> that the things he's saying and his experience in Gotham are exactly what's happening to him. Right. Right. And and I think there's part of it is like, is he doing all this to just to be the hero of his own story? Mm-hmm. Is he, it, are these interactions maybe playing out differently than, yeah. than how he's seeing them? And so... Although they try to lighten it up a little bit at the end, it feels like, well, uh, if he's our, our our sort of doorway to what's happening, I don't know if I trust that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that, again, plays into the the Joker's psyche. Exactly. And they do they do one interesting twist, you know, in that kind of leading into the yeah. third act, which kind of makes you start to think, okay, what have we seen that maybe we did not see or whatever? But then this allegory just falls apart. Yeah. The more the movie goes on, sure. It's it takes a couple extra beats. I'm like, okay, well, you kind of, yeah, yeah. So let me just say this real quick. Spoiler alert! Spoiler! Spoiler alert! If you're if you're hearing this right now (laughs) and you haven't seen the film and you want to know everything about the film or you don't want. Uh, skip ahead maybe about one minute. Do you have a klaxon uh, on your soundboard? I wish (laughs) clack. Yeah. Um, Do you think Thomas Wayne really is his father or not? No. No. You don't think he's his father? No. No. Okay. 100% 100% no. I walked yeah, away from this going, no. it actually could be, because if there was a man in power who could make this sort of thing happen and make it go away, it Thomas Wayne could be the guy who could make it happen. I think that was, again, one of my problems with the movie. Mm-hmm. As we're watching, we were like, this could work, but then the more you think about it, you're like, no, it does not. Yeah. Okay. No. Like, on a surface level, it totally makes sense. The story, but then when there's documentation and all this, and it was mm-hmm. like, yeah. so we cannot trust him or his mom yeah. Yeah. or what she... No, yeah. no way. Okay, so they're both delusional in their own way. Yeah, and right. Because we never really yeah. see Gotham. We see yeah. Gotham through Arthur Fleck. We don't really get to see Gotham. Yeah. Okay. We, we never see, you know, the Waynes who are constantly, it seems like, including Bruce, rebuilding. Yeah. Gotham. Sure. You know, from the Waynes' ancestors, Solomon Wayne, when he first built Wayne Manor, it was always about rebuilding or building Gotham. We never get that. We just see Arthur. And his view of Gotham sure. as the downtrodden person, that is a yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> weird take. Okay, okay. So all of that being said, where do you sit on the film? Is this a you know, is it a theater? Is this a rent? Is it a skip? Where where do you come in on this? It's a theater for me. Okay. I thought it was fun, despite some of like my concerns, despite mm-hmm. you know the third act not really landing it. But I thought it was fun. Yeah, and yeah. a good performance by Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. John, uh, with me, it is. Visually gorgeous. Joaquin gives an incredible performance like he always does. Mm-hmm. This is a, a rent. Huh. Um, it is not a skip because there are incredible performances in it. It looks great. Yeah. I had big problems with the score and the soundtrack. Really? Because it was basically they just raided oh. Martin Scorsese's record collection. Oh, I disagree. Yeah, I that. loved it. I, I love what she came up with. I mean, it's, you know, cello influence. Yeah. I'll just, I'm going like to sit on the sure. other side of the fence on that one. But okay. Yeah. yeah. And so that. I know people are going to see this. Yeah. Rent it at home, you know, in the comfort, literally in the comfort of your own home because <laughs> yeah. with everything going on, a theater might not be the most relaxing well, no, place. Thankfully, nothing's happened. There's been no Absolutely. incidents. It's, it's yeah, been right. a peaceful opening for the film. Yep. Yeah. And I hope this continues. Yeah. And I'm a theater on this one as well. Uh, and But I, I totally agree with you on the, the comfort of your own home. Mm-hmm. The unfortunate part is I am always a fan of seeing theater 
as a social experience where sure. we all go out, there is something still magical to that. Me, but I, I am with you on that. I and I am was incredibly disappointed a number of years ago when the shooter uh, uh, guy appeared as a Joker and shot up the whole yeah. theater. Yeah. That uh, was devastating to me because that has always been a safe place. Absolutely. Right. That is a place we go for entertainment. There's a place we go to open our minds and, right. and experience other things and to see that taken away. And so that was just really devastating. So I agree. But <laughs> so anyway, to me, this is a theater. I'll, okay. I'll leave it at that. There's another film coming out. This you actually could enjoy in the, the, the comfort of your own home because it's Netflix, correct? Absolutely. Sure. So, and speaking of 70s uh, films or film-adjacent <laughs> things, yeah. so Dolomite Is My Name, yeah. starring Eddie Murphy, Wesley Snipes, uh, a bunch of other people, uh, Keenan Michael Key. Keenan Michael Key's in it. So this tells the, I mean, what is crazy, the untold story of Rudy Ray Moore, the star of so many black exploitation classics like Dolomite, Human Tornado, and so many other things. And this is the first movie really about him. Snoop Dogg did a movie in like the 90s that was basically him just hanging out with him and talking about him. Mm -hmm. But a true kind of biopic about Rudy Ray Moore and the making of Dolomite is this film. And yeah, it is on Netflix. This is a fascinating movie <laughs> about a guy who was just so eccentric, so creative, when he was watching all of these films, Black Caesar and all that, and being like, okay, I'm a stand-up comedian. I have these things. I want to make a movie. I, mm -hmm. I can do this. Yeah. And so he created this character of Dolomite based off of all of these other stories when he would hang out with you know, homeless people in the area and just gather their stories. Yeah. He manifested this character called Dolomite, this pimp who is the best at everything, knows Kung Fu, has a gaggle of women <laughs> around him who also know Kung Fu. So what, what is interesting about this film is that it's about the making of Dolomite, but they splice in a lot of his other movies mm -hmm. into the making of this, which I think is a great homage. Yeah. Most people watching this might not get all of those little pieces. Yeah. But it does not really matter. Right. Uh, Eddie Murphy, this is always cliche when people say it. He is back. But like realistically, Eddie Murphy, we have not seen an Eddie Murphy like this right. in a long time. Right. This is not Nutty Professor. New. No. Yeah. This is this is <laughs> like he, he's hard edged in this then. Yeah. Or, so. And it it works. Mm -hmm. It truly feels genuine. And yeah. the passion behind making a film about making a film mm -hmm. is there. Like all of those touch points. The controversy with this film, just like we were talking about controversy with Joker. Uh -huh. This film about Rudy Ray Moore starring, you know, predominantly all black cast and about this great hero of black exploitation cinema directed by a white guy, written by two white guys. Yeah. That already was in the dialogue of this movie when it was first kind of making festival appearances and things like that. Yeah. I kind of had that same feeling until I did more research. Eddie Murphy went to the writer specifically and was like, I want to work with you guys. So, and that was 16 years ago. Wow. And the fact that this is now a passion project that kept, you know, moving forward in different ways and now, you know, it manifested. Right. Uh, is really interesting. Yeah, it is, it is directed by Greg Brewer, mm -hmm. who did Hustle and Flow. And so, I mean, the, I mean, the, the muscle, the DNA mm -hmm. is good. Mm -hmm. It just optically, especially in these days. The when politics we were talking on about, that. Yeah, yeah. Diversity. It was like. That's interesting. Okay, 
Uh, did you see a couple years ago there was a film called Black Dynamite? Yes. Yes. <clears throat> the 10-year anniversary is today. Love right. Black Dynamite. Okay. And the cartoon. Where where does this sit in relation to that? I mean, because that was sort of a a, a, a send-up of mm-hmm. black exploitation. Mm-hmm. Different circumstances surrounding <laughs> that, obviously. But that lit things up on fire as part of SIF a number of years ago, and that's mm-hmm. where I saw it. Yeah, yeah. Walked away from it really loving the first two thirds. The last third kind of jumps off yeah. the deep end, but regardless, as as black exploitation films do, <laughs> yeah, yes. oh, a hundred percent. And this, I think, that plays to the strength of this film. Uh-huh. Black Dynamite was a complete parody. Sure, like Michael J. White, like you, the whole time, like it was just him being like, I remember watching these movies as a kid. Now I get to play in this sandbox, right? Whereas this movie is, it is like, okay, these were the real people involved into making this movie that even during the filming of Dolomite, they were like, is anybody getting paid? Like, Mm -hmm. do we even have an editor? Do we even, you know, so there was really that pull of the the work that Rudy Ray Moore had to do to even get this in front of people. Yeah. So, and that was just really fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so Black Dynamite, great movie. Tangentially related only because it is that same right genre yeah um and yeah so it is it is a fascinating film especially if you are even a passing fan of black exploitation films sure this is a pretty much must watch right so okay so this is a uh, must watch i guess we don't really have a theater on this but is yeah it, I mean, it actually is doing a theater run oh is it to really qualify for award season okay so it is actually opening at sif this weekend okay yeah. and is that and a recommendation then, from you on that Absolutely. Okay. Like this is, it was a really well put together movie. It was funny. It was, I mean, it is hard to say depressing, but you really, it is about filmmakers yeah. trying and scraping to make a film. Sure. So any of us who are creatives, which all of us are in this room, we can relate to that. Right. Absolutely. When it's like, here's a passion project. I have no idea what is going to actually happen with right. it. Right. So yeah, strong recommendation. Uh, Eddie Murphy, I mean, they might make a push for him. Interesting. Yeah. Good. Okay. Good. Good for Eddie. Because he had he had one for Dreamgirls and that didn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. That's not. He was good in that though. Mm-hmm. You know, this this uh, harkens back also many many years ago. I actually worked for a Solid Gold Soul Station here in <laughs> wow. Seattle. Um At the time, I had long hair. It was. Wait, it was, was this a, the same time as your metal show? Uh, yeah, actually, it was. As what? a matter of fact, yeah. so completely different radio. Okay. I, was, I was working five different jobs at the time, but Sheesh. one of them was with this little Solid Gold Soul Station. And at the time, and I don't I don't know if either of you have been here. Long enough to remember, this is about 20 years ago, but there used to be a place down in the Rainier Valley, and it was known as Music World Black Masterpiece. And the guy who ran it was a guy by the name of Bud. And Bud would come into the station every so often, and he'd bring music and videos for us. And so that was my first exposure awesome. to a lot of this stuff. And so, and, and I, I, I wish I would say, I, you know, like I said, this is 20 years ago. So, and Bud was old then. So if mm-hmm. he's still alive, awesome. Way cool, super cool guy. But he'd bring all this stuff, and he's like, "Ha, ah, I'm Bud the Music Man," and and that's and that's how he would greet you. And of course, <laughs> he he started his business in front of one of the Safeways down in the Rainier Valley on a card table, and he had music to sell for people. Wow! And then he got enough of a following there that he could he opened a store. I mean, the guy he was my hero in that regard. Like this guy was doing this stuff at the time. Um, I bet his I, collect his music collection. It was unreal, man. Yeah. Unreal walking into the place because if you went in, it was just row after row after row after row of anything that was exploitation or soul or gospel or you name it. He had it all. I was, it was amazing. Wow. So, uh, 
the total side. Um, but shout out to Bud wherever you yeah. are. Yeah, yeah, Bud. If you're still going, man, <laughs> awesome. Um, but it's it's reach out to the show. That would be a great interview. Yeah, seriously, it's been it's been 20 years though. So uh, who knows? Uh, okay, that moving on, moving forward. Here's another luminary though. Will Smith. Will Smith is back? <laughs> question mark. Question mark. Mm. Yeah. Uh, with Gemini Man, him and Ang Lee have teamed up for Gemini Man, a story about this CIA operative who's sort of like a world class hitman essentially, um, who is retiring. Of course. As you know, in these films, you don't really get to retire. Right. (laughs) Um, He gets some information he's not supposed to get, and they send the Gemini Project after him, which we find out is a cloned version of him, so a younger version of himself. So it's, it's, you know. We find out, even though it has been on every poster and every trailer. Yeah, it's (laughs) not even like a twist. No. And Uh, it's uh, it's shot in glorious 120 frames per I think you mean completely pointless? Yeah. 120 frames per second? Yeah, it's in 120. And this is Ang Lee. It's Ang Lee. So Ang Lee, the the guy who uh, who actually can direct action and Absolutely. can direct yeah. a number of things. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like he got the idea of like, hey, I have this technology. I'm going to use it, but didn't question whether or not he should. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Now, knee-jerk reactions from you two on this. I didn't hate it as much as everybody else. <laughs> okay. I love it when, as critics, like we <laughs> see 300 movies a year. Yeah. I mean, that happens every now and then. The thing with me is, like, this is a movie that is a 1990s movie yeah. with better technology. Yes. Yeah. It's we very much face-off again, which they're also remaking. Well, not but, only face-off, yeah. but yeah. Universal Soldier. Yeah. You know, all of these movies were like, all right, I'm the soldier and I'm quitting. Oh, no, who is this young upstart guy? Oh, it is my clone. Like, we have seen this movie, this yeah. exact movie, 500 times. Yeah. And it's, it's a movie that sounds... Really good on paper, like yeah. in the nineties. It's Angley. <laughs> it's Will Smith. It's a cool sci-fi. It's a hitman who has to face off against himself, and there's some cool chases in it. It just right. for some reason the pieces don't necessarily fit yeah. as well mm-hmm. as as it should. Um, I didn't think it was a bad movie. I just thought yeah. it was like run of the mill, like we've seen this before. It's, yeah. it's fun when it's fun. The dialogue, though, however, oh, is God. really bad at the beginning. Yeah. So bad. It's no. It it gets better at the end. But, but it, yeah. like the the dialogue again is one of the most '90s things. Where if you watch those '90s action movies, which Tim and I especially have watched countless of those, whenever something happens, the hero or the villain has a one-liner. Mm-hmm. In right. this, we see a scene early in the film where there's a one of the characters in a boathouse, mm-hmm. you know, and she's trying to grab keys so they can make their escape, and a random goon, you know, kicks open the door, mm-hmm. and he goes. Fancy that in the water. And it was like, how long have you been waiting to <laughs> yeah. say that? Like, but it was like, as soon as he walked in the door, and it yeah. was like, what are you doing? And I so, know. I'm going to spring this line. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he's got his, his notes app open on his phone. Yeah. Right? He's like, fancy that in the water. Yes. Yeah. And so just like that, that type of thing. It, those yeah. do lessen as the movie goes on. Yeah, yeah. It lessens. And the other thing that gets worse, though, as the movie gets on, we kind of get the wool pulled over our eyes with, you know, the CGI mapping mm-hmm. that they do, mm-hmm. which does look really, really convincing and good in the dark. Yes. Yeah. There is a fight scene in Catacombs that looks incredible. Yeah. And it is one of the rare moments where it looks great. The fight choreography is good. The 120 frames per second pays off a little bit because mm-hmm. they do not have to drop frames like mm-hmm. they do in other films to make it a little bit faster. The ending of this film, the last five minutes, Ooh. are atrociously yeah. bad when it comes to CGI. When it is fully lit, yeah, it looks awful. Yeah. Oh, you mean the, the big send-off at the end? Yeah, the, which again, 
goofball, yeah. cheese like, whiz. Yeah, yeah, it's, total nineties. Yeah. A one hundred percent nineties. The other, the other nutty thing I noticed about it too is in those scenes, usually they they go for the money shot when right. in these sorts sure. of things where it's going to be the old guy and the new guy standing next to each other. Right, but right. in store instead to cheat it, what we'd get is sort of like the. Um, it's the uh, parent trap effect yeah. where mm-hmm. they shoot over the shoulder or mm-hmm. they they shoot so like it's a single shot of each person and a reaction shot so that you never really actually have to do the CGI magic that much <laughs> right, of the two right, characters right. on screen. So I, I thought they were a lot of that cheating of death. But then when we are outside, I'm like, all right, yeah, you're getting really close with this stuff. There's still something that also doesn't quite it, entirely it, look it, right. I like that the Angley tried it, and yeah. I think someone else will pick it up yeah. and tweak yeah. it, and we'll get sure. something much yeah. better. Yeah, it just like the he had to be the first one to make the leap. Sure, the Cosby Show, different world yeah. feeling at the end of this, and I was like, "What are we doing? Yeah, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah. It, it was a weird way to wrap up the film. And but here's the other thing too: is we also know what Will Smith looks like as a young man. Yes, I mean. I, I grew up with the Fresh Prince. I Same. grew up watching, listening, seeing, and kind of going, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. This, this, this character we're seeing on screen, is not close, but it's close, <laughs> not the same. It's not really yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which we will see, like with the Irishman. Yeah, you know, coming out. Which well, that's the aging though, which is different. I mean, well, yes and no. You know, the age, no, no, it, 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 it is completely different. different. It is. Yeah. But it's completely like, different. Like, we can do that on our on Snapchat right now, and yeah, like, right. suddenly we've exactly, got a pacifier. Right? It's Will yeah. Smith versus the Snapchat filter. That's yeah. what we watch. <laughs> so, <laughs> now, I guess here's the other the takeaway is, uh, I was hearing about what happened at the Pacific Science Center this weekend. I don't know if you heard. No. Um, so, Gemini Man was screening there uh, uh, to the point that the ticket sales were so oh, low no. oh, that they no. actually had to start canceling screenings. Yeah. Because yeah. not surprised. <laughs> that, no. that was kind of tough. But you know, the kinda funny tough. thing, I was telling my friends about that because the box office numbers came in and they were asking me what I thought. What I thought. Yeah. And I said, it's one of the, we get two or three of these films a year where it's it, it should work. Right. Like earlier this year, it was that that um that movie with um, Charlize Theron and she's running for office. Oh, yeah. The, uh, it just didn't work. It should work. On yeah. paper, it just should work. Oh, a funny comedy with Seth Rogen, and it just doesn't make any money. Yeah. And here's this movie with Will Smith. It should at least, even if it doesn't like blow the doors off the box office, it should make money. And it just don't. And it just does not. Right. And, uh, people just seem uninterested. And one yeah. of our one of our compatriots, Matt Oaks of Silver Screen Riot, he put up a screenshot of Will Smith's past decade yeah. of yeah. films on Rotten Tomatoes. Yikes. Like the highest rated was Men in Black 3. Ooh. That's a good one. It is, but the fact that in like <laughs> yeah. 10, years, 10 years. But I think Gemini Man will make its money overseas. I think it'll be fine. Probably. For sure. Yeah. yeah. It's the kind of yeah. it's the kind of big blockbuster movie that overseas audiences love. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I could see that, but here it is yeah. it is yeah. never going to make it it is not going to make its advertising budget back. Right. Yeah. It, it opened like twenty mil. Oof. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> not, will Smith yeah. made Probably eighty five on this. Yeah. So they're not even. Why? Yeah. Yikes. I, yeah. All right. So I'm unfortunately I'm going to say this one's a skip at the, from me, uh, Tim. It's a rent. You, you, okay. Listen, if you watch this movie on Netflix, you'd yeah. be like, oh, that was, that was fine. Okay. Yeah. It's a Netflix yeah. movie. John. I, I think yes, in that sense, where if you're watching it at home, and it is not you know twenty feet tall, right. you might not be able to pick it apart as much. Mm. Action movie fans and Will Smith fans are going to like this movie if they watch it at home. Yeah. So okay. it it is a rent, but it is such a dumb '90s movie yeah. that made it out of the '90s. Yeah, every you year know, we get a film like that. There's there's something interesting to this though, where you're saying if it's on the smaller screen, you might not. Yeah. So I think it was The Matrix Two. 
that I saw. Yeah. That opening fight sequence. Well, that, but there's, there's a lot that I didn't, I saw that in the theaters then, mm-hmm. and I don't remember it looking bad, but I remember seeing it at home yeah. on a smaller screen and went, how did I ever think this possibly looked good? Yeah. Um, so th- that that unfortunately didn't translate well. So it can go yeah. the other way, too. Oh, 100%. So, and again, you talked earlier about the cinema experience, that mm-hmm. community experience. That, even though we are all critics, that can cloud us even yeah. when we watch a movie in the theater versus watching it at home and being like, wait, what? Yeah, so it can. All right. So there's another film that. Uh, so I'm the only one who saw this. Oh, uh, let's uh, hear about it. Well, yeah, please. Oh, please. Uh, so you remember Maleficent, right? Angelina L- Jolene. Literally, no. Okay. What you never was, saw? It? No, you, I did. You saw it. But I you had to. Re- just, <laughs> you pushed eject. With oh, this, yeah. <laughs> when this movie, when we got this screening announcement for the second one, Maleficent. What is the full title? Uh, this Mistress one is of Mistress Evil? of Evil. Yes. Yeah. Thinking, I was like, wait, when was the last one? Did I see it? Other people reminded me. They were like, "Yeah, you were there." Yeah, I have zero memory yeah. of this movie. Yeah, no. But this is also not an uncommon phenomenon. At a certain point, sure. our brains just go, "No, too much." Yeah. You know, and that's where I usually rely on Sarah. I'm like, Sarah, what was this one <laughs> right. about? She's like, "Oh, remember?" Blah, 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 blah. And then, uh, oh, right, thank you. Um, Maleficent Two, Mistress of Evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, Angelina Jolie, Elle Fanning, and Michelle Pfeiffer. Basically, mm-hmm. the gist is, uh, uh, we have got. The Queen of the Fairies, which is uh, Elle Fanning at this point, mm-hmm. she receives a marriage proposal from Prince Philip, uh, who happens to be in the human world. And so of Elle, course. who is a human living in the fairy world, now we have this potential merger of worlds, uh, humans and fairies. So wait, Elle is a human in the fairy world and she yeah. is the Queen of the Fairies? Because Angelina Jolie, Maleficent, uh-huh. is her godmother. Oh. So... What kind of Must, nepotism in the fairy kingdom is going right, on? Seriously, but to all the fairies, all the bunnies, they all love Elle Fanning's character. Mm. So, all right, uh, here's so you've got the the human world and the fairy world coming together, but the humans are still wary of, course. of the fairies, and that's where Michelle Pfeiffer comes in as the evil queen of the humans. Okay, so she wants to strike with great wrath and uh, destroy and the fairy world. Furious vengeance! Furious <laughs> vengeance over some uh, some tasty hamburgers. No. Um, <laughs> And a delicious shake mm-hmm. uh, to wash that down. The that's the gist of it. All okay. right. Stage is set. Where the pieces fall, I will say this: this is actually a stronger film for Maleficent than Maleficent One. Right. <laughs> In so much okay. that we are we're taking the same pieces, putting them back together to reconstruct actually something that gives us a little more empathy and compassion and understanding as to how Malefic- Maleficent got the way she was. That was the goal of the first one. They were trying to teach us the, okay. the story of Snow White from the side mm-hmm. of the evil queen. Okay. And we never really understood the evil... I mean, we sort of understood her, but we didn't really understand her. Mm-hmm. This gives us more context into her world and why she is and who she is and where she came from. So success hmm. in that. Um, now, with the Joker paradigm that we talked about, mm-hmm. does this do a good enough job in the second one to then, if, we were, if you were to go back and watch the first one, does any of it... You don't need the first one. You can. Well, actually, no, I meant the, oh. like the, the the original animated one. The, do we get to the point of Maleficent that is more reminiscent to the one that some people grew up watching? Uh, no. 
Okay. I mean, this this is yeah. No. Do they do like a and previously on Maleficent before the movie? You would uh, you would actually benefit from I this, but that. you you actually don't because I like you had forgotten a lot. Yeah. I forgot enough that when I went to this, going, oh right, 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 right. There was a spindle and someone pricks their yeah. finger and then they're asleep and then yeah. I forgot about a lot of that stuff. It all came back to me, and I mean, I remember like, the snow. Oh, Angelina Jolie's trying to kill a child. Right. The whole movie. Yeah, Got I forgot it. about <laughs> this. Forgot <laughs> that, old, that old chestnut. That, that, yeah, exactly. But. The to sum up on this one very briefly, I actually did enjoy this quite a bit. The first two thirds really worked. The final third it turns into a giant battle royale and the whole thing falls off the rails. And that's not the worst. I think what's unfortunate is when we look to the origin stories of a lot of these fairy tales. A lot of mm-hmm. them come from the Grimm brother, brothers Grimm. Yeah, and there is always. And, and not not to make a joke of this, but there was always great wrath that was struck down upon those who did wrong Absolutely. in the Brothers Grimm stories. This is correct. In this story, and I don't call it the PG rating, I don't know. Call it Disney, I don't know. But justice does not feel served in the end. Mm. We have a very almost, I'll say it, Hitler-esque character that is here. And we have the portrayal of what is almost a gas chamber. And wow. I mean, it's this is not light stuff. This is not light and airy stuff. And it's still a PG film. Yet, but the, the gas chamber is fairy dust. And they all close. sort of fly. It's actually, it's, it's a reverse of that. But, you know, oh. but Ugh. the point is, <laughs> the justice is not served to the enactors of this, gotcha. is that I mean, waiting for a third movie? Is that why? I don't, I don't know. But what I can, I, I can clearly look at this and go, man, uh, they got off awfully easy for all these atrocities that were carried out. Here. <laughs> no, no, Hitler, you go sit in the corner. There were that's not far from where it is. Oh, wow, there, you know, you know, the reparations were not paid. This wow. was this was terrible. So I got a real concern with that ending, just in that nature, and that's just. That's Yikes. my personal beef on that. Okay. Film is still, it's okay. Visually, it's great. Costuming. Costuming, all the mm-hmm. above. What age you do know. you think is too young for this film? Mm, I'm going to say five. Okay. Five or six is probably where we want to cut that off because things do turn. I mean, it is dark. Okay. She is the mistress of evil. You know, I mean, there is a lot of evil that's involved in this. But that's not necessarily a Maleficent part. Yeah, that's right, 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 some right. of the other stuff. But uh, so, yeah, I would, I would keep the little littles at home. Even though this is supposed to be family friendly. Right. One thing yeah. that I did love though is the red carpet for this. Mm-hmm. Elle Fanning wore this beautiful dress that had like garden inspired notes and she was wearing gloves. And when she held up her glove on her pointer finger was a little uh. drop of blood. Ah. Uh. Super clever. Just this little like patch that was sewn in. Sure. Like so the costuming in the movie and outside of the movie. Yeah. Looks great. I still have zero interest in watching this. Yeah. And I'm not surprised. You know, it's you're not exactly the target demo for this. True. You know, uh, so uh, <laughs> those who will go will enjoy it. Uh-huh. Just leave the little, little ones at home. And I think you'll still be reasonably Theater, okay. rent, or skip. This is really a rent or a skip. I'm going to put it in the rent category. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm not, but I'm not in love with it. So I'll just be quick about that. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, okay. All right. There is one more here on our list. I thought we had two more. All right. Uh, we can do one more. Nope. This is we got one more. One more. Okay. This one, this one screams <laughs> darkness from yesteryear. Oh, this movie. In the shining bright light. Uh-huh. Yes. Tell us about this, John. So <laughs> this movie, this next movie is Art House with not just a capital A. This is all capital Art House film mm-hmm. by Robert Eggers. Called The Lighthouse, starring not one. But two people, mm-hmm. and that is it. 
Yeah. Three if you count an animal. I was say. Three if you count an animal. Three and a half if you count a different type of animal that we see. There's a there's a Russian that's involved in this as well. Yes. Fairly scantily clad. Yes. For yes. a moment. For a moment. Um, that was what I was counting that. Oh, that's half, what you're leading to? Half animal. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, so Willem Dafoe, Robert Pattinson are trapped in this, or become trapped in this lighthouse. This is a, I would say, early 20th century time period piece. Mm. Or period piece, maybe nineteenth century. Okay, yeah, yeah late eighteen eighty, eighteen ninety. Oh yeah, so late nineteenth yeah. century, and they are lighthouse keepers mm-hmm. in the middle of somewhere. I don't even know if we get a state. They're even. literally in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, middle of nowhere. Lighthouse keepers that are supposed to be there for X number of weeks. Of course, calamity ensues. They end up there for much longer. Yeah. Throughout this whole film, we have this claustrophobic vibe yeah. between these two guys who not only are. You're working in the same building, essentially. They are sleeping right next to that to each other. They're eating dinner together. The whole time is just the two of them. Mm-hmm. That would lead anybody a little bit crazy, mm-hmm. let alone the things that happen and transpire on this island. What is one of, one of the fascinating things about this film, though? A, the cinematography and the director of photography, and I did not look up who it was. Yeah. This was lit and shot incredibly well. Yeah. Like, this is something where it is similar to, and this is all black and white. And it, yeah, it's exquisite. Yeah. It, yeah. It is similar to The Revenant, where Inaritu, uh-huh. like, he was like, I'm only using natural light. That messes with production in a lot of different ways. With this one, there was a lot of it where I was like, I think this is all natural light the whole time. There was nothing that really took me out of that moment, especially the scenes when they are by lamplight. You know, just an oil yeah. lamp. I mean, those scenes where it is swinging, everything about it was so organic, mm-hmm. and it pulled you into this. Where we get pulled into is not a fun experience in the sense of, like, what we are seeing these men go through in this mythological-inspired mm-hmm. tale of these two men. And when I say mythological, we get straight quotes from mythology. Direct we get, quotes, visually and verbally. Yeah, yep. Vis- yeah and the visual styling there's one where it just looks like a matte painting with willem dafoe standing there so i mean this film looks gorgeous similar to the other movies we have talked about there's a very very specific audience for a film like this yes sure. and it is not your average a plus you know amc member or regal plus whatever they call it yeah. this is not for that person this is for the person who goes out to the theater a dozen times a year for movies like this or that are going to challenge you. Yes. This challenged me in ways where it was shot in fourth, not shot, but it was shown to us in four, three perspective. Yeah. Then it would manifest as 16 by nine, but not quite 16 by nine and then back and forth. And I kept trying to figure out, okay, what is the reason for this? Is a certain thing a dream sequence? Is a certain thing during the day? There was no rhyme or yeah, reason to that. I think that. it may have just been the camera that they were shooting on that particular day. And yeah, for yeah. those of you listening at home who are wondering 4369, oh, yes. what, what, what John means by that is it's a small box yes. or sometimes it's a wider screen. Yeah. And it's kind of flittering between the two. Yep. And, and it, you're right. There is no, from what I was able yeah. to discern either, there was no rhyme or reason why we're doing that. No. Yeah. But, and it, but it, was, it, was, it worked. Yeah. I think that was the biggest thing is those transitions. We talked to a couple of people after the screening and some people were like, oh, I didn't even notice. To yeah. me, it is like, how do you not notice? But the transition from 4-3 square to 60 by 9 rectangle 
it was not even like a smooth fade, but it was the color scheme and it was that lighting again that kind of tricked you into being like, okay, this is yeah. different, but it does not take you out of the film. This is another one of those films where Robert Pattinson, to a lot of people, will never get away from the Twilight stigma mm. when he has done, including this one, half a dozen films that are so deserving of praise of his performance. Yeah. Right. Like Robert Pattinson is great. Willem yeah. Dafoe is phenomenal. Like, yeah. and he goes into these monologues. There's a monologue about two thirds of the yeah, way through. I know what you're talking about. Where it's like, call me Ishmael. And yeah. he suddenly tears into basically a Herman Melville, mm -hmm. kill the white whale sort of narration. Right. Neptune strike thee. Yeah. And Net camera never breaks. I, I don't know how long, he, how long was that? It was like a, it's like, a couple minutes. Couple, yeah. A couple minutes. He but it was, we going. just do not yeah. see that type of thing anymore unless you go to see things on the stage a lot. Sure. So to see it in a movie where he it felt, just... It felt very much like a stage play. But that's yeah. where Defoe really comes in handy oh, because 100%. he is a stage guy. Yep. I mean, he's yeah. he's a theater guy, but he also has enough experience yeah. stage-wise. A lot of it felt very much like a stage play. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm fascinated because for me, always, like, whatever A24 is putting out, there's yeah. not going to be anything else like it yeah. in the theater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just yeah. it's just going it's going to be different. It's gonna like have some different tones, gonna feel different. And I went in expecting because Eggers did the witch, expecting yeah. expecting something, some grandiose fear to happen. And it mm -hmm. the fear is really claustrophobia. Yeah. yeah. Like that's sort of the quote unquote villain of the film. It's like fever. Yeah. You're stuck yeah. with this person and you wanna get off this rock and there's a storm, so you can't get off the rocks. So now you're, and you're stuck even longer and you're running out of provisions mm -hmm. and you and just it, you go crazy, and yeah. you don't even know the person that you are with. No. So it is yeah. one thing where, like, if one of us in the room in the studio were to be sent somewhere with one other person that we did not know, you have a good solid few days of like getting yeah. to know yeah. the person, whatever. Then after week two, week three, you start talking about like it when you have nothing else yeah. to do. Mm -hmm. There was that weird dynamic of there's him a, telling him what to do. The there's whole time. a power dynamic that's oh, going yeah. on there too between. Yeah, senior officer and young guy who's now fresh on the rock, yeah. basically. Yeah, and no music. Also, that right. was the other interesting choice. Oh, there was music. Yeah, well, I mean, in the in the film itself, like uh, record player or something, mm -hmm. you know, like that. Uh, did I miss? A, I think there was. There was I think there score? actually is score in there. The score. It's it is more ambient than yeah. like orchestrated pieces yeah. so right. almost kind of like whales underwater yeah but like like those scenes when, when robert pattinson's walking back and forth with the coal you get it oh. doing some of well, those I, scenes. sorry i meant on the island so like our characters do not oh. have access to like right, right. a phonograph no yeah. like something again to break up that monotony of yeah just you and the other dude talking to each other and again it goes back to that pushing up coal yeah. The Sisyphus analogy. Yeah. Pushing up a stone. Yeah. I mean, it just, this is a very, very complex and layered film that is, yeah, going to be challenging for a lot of people. See, and what I really appreciate about Eggers in The Witch is mm -hmm. that the fears that he was drawing on were the fears of the time. Yeah. And right. the fears of witches at the time. And I, what I really like with what he's done with The Lighthouse is he's taken that same concept and he's the, in, at the, in the end credits they talk about credits to Herman Melville mm -hmm. Lightkeeper's journals and diaries and there was one other person that I didn't quite catch oh, the name yeah. of but the, Sarah, Sarah Jane Hugh, I think that sounds right like but so that he's lifted these these ideas and concepts that came from these books mm -hmm. and so the fear of creatures of the sea and yeah. the the you know superstitions of sailors 
all of that comes home in this to a very real terrestrial feel for what was fear at the time and what people they believe actually, them. They did. They and believe them. So some, there was nothing, some still do. Yeah, I was like, yeah, <laughs> there was nothing yeah. else to, I mean, quote unquote, to disprove it. I mean, yeah. right. with the witch, I mean, what he did with that, the witch is still, and I, I have talked about it before, I compare the witch to Kurosawa when mm-hmm. it comes to a period piece with zero anachronisms that looks like he took a camera crew back in time. Yeah. This is the same thing. Like yeah. his knack for these historical dramas yeah. is unreal. Yep. And I, I, I love the dialogue work too, or the, uh, the Dick, uh, not the, it's the, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's the dialogue work, but it is the accents that yeah. they're both working with, right, which, right, which right, is right. interesting. You have sort of an Irishman <laughs> and a guy who sounds like he's straight out of Massachusetts. Like right. He sounds like a Kennedy. He does. Yeah. He does. Know? Yeah. Um, and so I think this is actually on the eastern seaboard, somewhere in the in the Atlantic. But I, yeah, you, know, you got me on that. Uh, so where are we coming out of this? Theater, rent, skip. It's a theater for me, but like, much like John <laughs> said, there will be people who will go. Yeah. It's not for everyone. It's, no. it's, it's it's for a specific crowd. But if you see it, I will see it in the theater. Yeah, and absolutely. This is again talking about the communal experience, talking about seeing it on a big screen. Mm-hmm. If you're watching it at home, four three sixty nine, you're going to be distracted. See yeah. this in the theater. It is a theater recommendation for me because yeah. it. Yeah, it was it was an incredible piece of filmmaking. Yeah. Get the full immersion for the sound design, yep. everything that's there. The sound design in this one is crucial. I'm a theater on this one, 100%. Uh, and you will not be the same person when you walk out of the theater on that one. Yeah. Uh, so in reca- a recap here, talking about uh, the Lighthouse getting three theater recommendations from the Squabblers. Gemini Man, two <laughs> rentals, one skip. Dolomite is my name, getting a theater recommendation. Uh, Maleficent, getting a rental. And Joker getting two theaters and one rental recommendation. The two of you always have projects at hand. Yes. What are you working on? Uh, it's our spooky October for Man Yeti's podcast. So we we just did The Fly. So we're going to do Evil Dead 2 next week. And then following that with Night of the Creeps. Sweet. Which nice. is a, such a weird movie to watch. It's so Evil weird. Dead 2. <laughs> Evil Not Dead 2 is so cheesy. Yeah. Yeah. It's total cheese whiz. But that's yeah. what makes it so great. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. Sam Raimi is alive. Yeah. Sam Raimi. All right. Mm-hmm. John? Uh, yeah. So... It is getting busy already with award season. We are in the theater three, sometimes four times a week right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that I have coming up is my annual No Shame November episode of my podcast, where I have guests on and we talk about things. We open up and admit things, whether they're TV shows, movies, music, that we, we need a safe space to talk about. This is a so, guilty pleasure film sort of thing? Essentially, or, yeah. yeah. So we... we Create a safe space in the studio, and then I put it out for thousands of people to listen to. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that is the, the No Shame November episode. Uh, that will be, yeah, in, in a couple of weeks. And then just a ton of movies. We saw two other movies recently that we cannot quite talk about yeah. you know, yet. So, yeah, there, there's a lot coming up in the fall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, one of those rhymes with Harriet, we'll be able to discuss that later. We just can't talk about it right now, <laughs> yeah. but all three of us are just kind of chomping at the bit. So I'll, <laughs> I'll throw that out there. As a future episode potential. Mm-hmm. So, sounds good. About to review that guy, John. Tim Hall from the PI and the People's Critic. Adam Gerke, thank you much for joining us. And thanks much to Sprint's Arbor Guest, our producer.